Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers is a Christian apologetics ministry led by Dr. Pat Zukran. Pat provides compelling messages from top apologetics scholars, defending the Christian worldview and provides valuable resources for every person seeking answers to life's questions, as well as addressing key issues of our time, serving to equip Christians who want to effectively engage their world for Christ is our focus. Skeptics often argue, if Jesus was such a prominent historical figure in the first century, why isn't he mentioned in other historical works? Is Jesus mentioned in non-Christian historical accounts? What do they say about Jesus? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, our host, Pat, will be sharing from his weekly YouTube show, Question of the Week, where he answers this challenge and other challenges raised by the skeptics against the historical reliability of the Gospels. Aloha, and welcome to another episode of Question of the Week. This is brought to you by the Honolulu Christian Church in combination with Evidence and Answers. And so each week we try to answer some of the toughest questions that seekers and skeptics ask about Christianity. Well, we've been covering our series on the historical reliability of the Gospels. Remember, last week we went over the date of the Gospels. All right? One of the great challenges to the historical reliability of the Gospels, many skeptics allege that they were written decades, maybe even over a century after the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, and so they could not have been eyewitness accounts. Well, we showed last week that indeed the Gospels are written quite early, well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, and that's important because opponents and eyewitnesses could corroborate whether what the gospel writers were recording and the information they shared about Jesus was indeed true or false and the gospels would have never lasted had they not been true because there's just too many eyewitnesses who can verify or falsify their accounts and also early dating shows you that the authors Matthew Mark Luke and John are most likely the authors of the Gospels. And so we were able to show that the Gospels were dated quite early. All right. Now, if you want to look more into that, go see our previous video or go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org and you can find out more information on the historical reliability of the Gospels there. Now, this next question is connected to what we covered last week, and it's this. I was asked this question several times in radio debates and discussions I've had with skeptics and atheists and opponents of Christianity, and the question was this. If Jesus was such a significant figure, then why aren't there other historical records that mention him? Now, we have the four gospel accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as we are going to continue through this series, they have shown to be very accurate historical records, right? Now, we have records of other significant historical figures, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, the other Caesars and rulers from ancient times. And they have about the same or even less historical records written much later, right? Uh, some several centuries after their life, which we consider historically accurate. The Gospels, here are four eyewitness accounts, plus you have the books of the New Testament that were written 
well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, perhaps a decade, two decades, not too long after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only do we have the New Testament, we have nearly a dozen or over a dozen non-Christian or what I will call anti-Christian historical accounts that mention Jesus. And the facts that they mention match or corroborate what we have recorded in the New Testament. Now, this is the power of enemy attestation. Those of you that are in history or in the legal field know that when your opponent confirms your facts, that's some of the most powerful historical evidence or some of the most powerful evidence in court. And here we have over a dozen historical works written by ancient historians who were opponents of Christianity. In fact, they despised Christianity. When you read their accounts, you'll see that they really despised this new Christian faith that was spreading throughout the Roman Empire at that time. Now, the historical accuracy of the Gospels are confirmed by many of these non-Christian writings. There's dozens of facts that these non-Christian writers confirm that Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, that he lived a virtuous life, that he was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James who was martyred. He claimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that an eclipse occurred when he died. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. The disciples believed that he had risen from the dead, on and on and on, right? Dozens of facts that are mentioned in the Gospels are indeed affirmed by these non-Christian historical works, right? We have Jewish and Roman historical works that mention Christ and mention several of the facts mentioned in the New Testament. For example, there are two Jewish sources that mention Jesus, the Talmud and the works of Josephus. Now, the Jewish Talmud states this about Jesus. It says, on the eve of Passover, Yeshu, that would be Jesus, was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He's going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel into apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of the Passover. So you can see the Talmud really despised Jesus, called him an apostate kind of teacher, but verifies that he was a historical person who was indeed crucified on the eve of the Passover. Josephus, very accurate historian, much of what we know that went on in the Palestine area, in the Roman Empire there in the first century, comes from the writings of Josephus, considered a very accurate historian. Now, in his works, he records Herod's mentioned in the Bible, the emperors Augustus, Tiberius, and Claudius, the high priestly families mentioned in the New Testament, Caiaphas, Ananias, and Annas, and several of the events mentioned in the Gospels and Acts are also mentioned in Josephus. Gamaliel's mention of Judas, the Galileans' uprising, that's mentioned in Acts chapter 5. In Acts 11, talks about a famine in the days of the Emperor Claudius, and that's mentioned in his work, The Antiquities. The sudden death of Agrippa in Acts chapter 12 is recorded in the Antiquities as well. And the death of John the Baptist and James, the brother of Jesus, are all affirmed by the writings of Josephus. Now, in that famous little paragraph, Josephus mentions Jesus, and he states this, he says, At that time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher 
of people who received the truth with pleasure, and he gained a following among many Jews, many of Greek origin. And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who loved him previously did not cease to do so. And up until this day, the tribe of Christians has not died out. Well, in that brief little paragraph there, Josephus pretty much summarizes the life of Christ there. He was a real historical figure, that he had a tremendous following, that he was crucified, and that his disciples uh, remained faithful to him even after his death. So we have two Jewish writings there. We also have non-Christian Roman historical writings. Thales, who wrote of the history of Greece from the Trojan War to his present day, writing in 52 AD, he wrote that on the day that Christ was crucified, in the afternoon, the land was covered with darkness, right? And he attributes that to a solar eclipse. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that the passion story of Christ was known throughout the Roman Empire by 50 AD and that the opponents of Christianity were giving some kind of naturalistic explanation to the darkness that covered the land during the afternoon of Christ's crucifixion. Thallus, writing in 52 AD. Tacitus is th this guy now. He's writing in, in the first century. He's considered a very accurate Roman historian. And he wrote of Nero's persecution of the Christians. And he said this. He said, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name has its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of the procurators Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome. And here, Roman historian Tacitus affirms the story of the Gospels as well, that Christ uh, was a historical figure, he suffered and was crucified during the reign of the Emperor Tiberius under the procurator Pontius Pilate, and that Christianity, even after the death of Christ, spread rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. Pliny the Younger, writing in the early 2nd century, he's the governor of Bithynia up there in northern Asia Minor or present-day Turkey, and he was writing to the emperor because the Christians were hurting his pagan worship there, the industry that was going on, the idol making and uh, the money that would come in from the festivals and ceremonies. And so he wrote this to the emperor asking what he should do about these Christians. And he wrote this, these Christians were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang an anthem to Christ as God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to commit any wicked deed, but to abstain from all fraud, theft, adultery, never to break their word or deny trust when called upon to honor it. And he goes on to talk a little bit more about that. But what does this corroborate? Well, that there was a historical person named Jesus and that the Christians worshipped Jesus as God from the very beginning. This was not an invention made two, three hundred years later where Christians later deified Christ. No, they worshipped him as God from the very beginning. That's clear in the New Testament. And here, Pliny affirms that indeed the Christians worshipped Christ as God. We have another guy, Celsus, a Roman philosopher, and he's scoffing at the fact that these Christians worship a man as God. And he writes this, writing in the second century AD, he says, now if the Christians worshiped only one God, 
they might have reason on their side. But as a matter of fact, they worship a man who appeared only recently. They do not consider what they are doing a breach of monotheism. Rather, they think it perfectly consistent to worship the great God and to worship his servant as God. And their worship of this Jesus is the more outrageous because they refuse to listen to any talk about God, the Father of all, unless it includes some reference to Jesus. So here we have Pliny the Younger affirming some kind of Jesus. But he also affirms that these Christians worshipped Christ as God from the very beginning. Then we have Lucian of Samosota writing in the 2nd century AD, and he's a satirist. And in one of his early works where he is making fun of these early Christians, he writes this. He says, the Christians worship a man to this day, the disguised personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. Here's another early writer who affirms that Christians worship Christ as God, that he was a historical person, that he was indeed crucified. So here we have several non-Christian historical records that affirm a historical Jesus and several of the significant facts about him mentioned in the New Testament. Now let's get to a few questions that came in over here. And the first one is this, Pat, the Gospels were not written down till decades later. They were passed down orally. So how do we know the oral tradition was accurate? We know the telephone game. So how can we know the teachings of Christ were passed down accurately? Well, remember the telephone game? I get this question quite a bit. I uh, just had one on a, a radio discussion with a skeptic there. And the telephone game, if you remember, you might have played it in elementary school where you whisper something in someone's ear and then he whispers it in the next person's ear and then it just goes round and round and round until you get to the last person in the front of the room and by the time he tells the story it's been retold about 30 times and by the time he or she tells the story it's completely different from the original story right and they're saying well you see as these stories were passed down orally inaccuracies exaggerations and legends started creeping into the text. So the feeding of the 50 turned into the 500, turned into the 5,000. And that's what happened here. First of all, we need to understand that oral societies are highly accurate. Now we have lost that ability with the technology we have today, but think about it. Those of us who were around before cell phones, uh, when I was a kid, I knew about over 100 phone numbers. Okay? I had them memorized in my head. Why? Because I had to. Right? If I was stuck, I needed to know my home phone number. If not, I need to know, you know this auntie, that uncle, my friend's house. You know, I had about 20 friends. I needed to know all their numbers if I wanted to call them. So I had their numbers memorized. Well, with the coming of the cell phone, I don't even have my own phone number memorized. Several times I got to look and see, well, what's my own cell number here? But in oral societies where memory is practiced regularly, they can be highly accurate. I've been in several cultures that are oral cultures, and I've seen, you know, or I've had professors who taught us or speakers who had the entire, all the Psalms memorized word perfect. I had a professor who had the Gospel of Mark and John memorized, word perfect in English and in Greek. So oral societies can be very highly accurate in the transmission of information. Second of all, when you play the telephone game, you only hear that message once, okay, and then you got to pass it on. 
the disciples of Christ didn't hear Jesus' message just once. All right? Jesus taught his lessons over and over and over many times in public and also probably privately he went into further detail with the disciples but he taught them over and over and over many times I am a teacher all right and in one year I'll be teaching the same lesson over a dozen times to different students okay now if I had an assistant following me around all over the place or he can talk to my wife she's probably got my messages memorized especially if she, you know I told her someday you're gonna teach this real soon so listen carefully and when the Apostles told their accounts they also repeated it many many times all right over the 10 20 years before it was written down they probably told the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus probably hundreds of times so by the time it was written they had repeated their story probably hundreds of times and remember there's also mnemonic devices that we use in teaching right to help us remember lessons and sayings and speeches and when you read Jesus speeches and the sermons that he taught you see that there are also mnemonic devices in there as well and also you know how many of us can forget a good story when we hear it about a dozen times Anywhere I go in the world, if I say, you're a good Samaritan, everybody knows what I'm talking about. You know, why is that? Well, it's such a simple but very memorable story. Okay, or if I say, hey, you're, you're like the prodigal son. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Very simple, memorable story okay, that Christ told. And the facts of the gospel, remember, as we showed last week, they're written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Right? So if what the gospel writers recorded was false or exaggerated the eyewitnesses there would be there to verify their accounts as true or false to correct them or show them that their accounts was indeed false and you bet the critics and the enemies who wanted to stomp out Christianity were looking for any way to discredit the writings or the teachings of the disciples and followers of Christ believe me they were if you have written a book and many of you authors who have written know the kind of criticism you get when you write a book alright I mean the critics go after you your credentials your mom your dad your brother your sister your cat your dog I mean they go after everything about you and you can believe that if the teachings of the disciples and early followers of Christ the skeptics were looking for any way to discredit their testimony and so they were scrutinizing their message very critically and then of course you have the supernatural element the Holy Spirit in John 16 13 Jesus said when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth and as we showed it's very reasonable to believe that God exists in fact the evidence confirms very strongly that indeed God does exist and so we cannot discount God's hand in the recording of his scripture there that the Holy Spirit inspired these men and brought to memory the things that Jesus and the Apostles taught them so that when they wrote down their account of the life and teachings of Christ they indeed wrote down a very accurate account let's see if I got time for one more here here's one that I often get Pat the story of Herod killing the children in Luke's gospel is not recorded in any other historical work shouldn't we see the story of a massive killing of children recorded in Josephus or other historical sources well 
First of all, we have to remember that Luke is a very accurate historian. Okay? He names 32 countries, numerous cities, gives very accurate titles to government officials, you know, like Tetrarch, first man of the island, and others. And archaeology confirms how accurate Luke is. Now, when you're looking at a historical work, this is how you, you don't look at what is not there. You look at what is there. Those of you in the historical science or the forensic science know what I'm talking about. For example, if you go to the scene of a bank robbery, okay, and there's no video of the robber or no clear picture of the robber, investigators there don't say, well, there's no picture of the robber, so no robbery occurred. Nobody can know what happened, so let's just go home. No, they look at the evidence that is there, all right, and they can draw very good conclusions when they put all the evidence there together. Okay, or let's say there was one eyewitness, okay, one eyewitness, and he saw two guys robbing the bank and one guy in a getaway car. But the newspaper reporters and others don't talk about the guy in the getaway car. They just say there were two robbers. Well, how do you know based on the testimony of this one guy that there was a driver in the getaway car, a third robber? How would you know? You would question that eyewitness and ask him detailed things, right? What time did this happen? What were these men wearing? Where did they enter? And if he gets these kinds of details right, you can be reasonably assured that there probably was a third driver because this guy's testimony is pretty accurate. And that's what we see in Luke here. I mean, he's nailing a lot of historical and cultural details head on. So when it comes to this account, we should be giving him the benefit of the doubt. Second of all, you need to show that it's absolutely impossible. If you want to discredit the Gospels, you got to show this was absolutely impossible. It could have never happened. But when you study the life of Herod, this is very reasonable. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's very reasonable that a guy like Herod could have done something like this. Now, why isn't it recorded? Well, Bethlehem is a relatively small village, insignificant village at that time. The population of the city was probably no bigger than 500. So the number of children two years old and under was probably maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen at the most. And if you look at Herod's life, I mean, near the end of his life when this event would have happened, he was a paranoid tyrant at this time. I mean, he killed hundreds of his own people. His list of victims include his favorite wife, Mariamne, his uncle Joseph, who was accused of adultery with Mariamne. He executed his mother-in-law, Alexandra, the mother of his favorite wife, Mariamne, because she plotted to kill Herod during his years of insanity. He executed the grandfather of Mariamne, Hyrcanus. He executed his younger brother-in-law. Then he killed the two sons of Mariamne, right? Two sons he had with her, Alexander and Aristobulus, who he thought were plotting against him. He killed his oldest son, Antipater, five days before Herod died. He executed hundreds of his countrymen. And in fact, in 4 BC when he died, he gave this order when he is buried in the Herodium, the fortress that he built. He said to keep the people from rejoicing over his death because he was a despised tyrant, to keep them from rejoicing over his death, he ordered his soldiers to gather the eminent men from the land, the government uh, leading officials, and bring them to Jericho to have them executed when he died so everybody would be mourning at his death. And uh, after he died, his soldiers didn't want to carry this out. But you see the kind of man that Herod was. This fits the picture of Herod and makes it plausible. In fact, the Emperor Augustus said this. He said that it was better to be Herod's pig than his son, for his pig had a better chance of surviving in a Jewish community. 
So it's not surprising that Josephus or other historians overlook the death of a few Hebrew children in a small, insignificant village, because Herod had other <laughs> infamous crimes, many that are on a much larger scale than this. Well, that ends this session of Question of the Week. Remember, if you've got questions, send them in here at pat at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat at evidenceandanswers.org. And don't forget to like or subscribe. Uh, hit the subscribe button there so you can get our updates whenever we put anything up on YouTube or our webpage at evidenceandanswers.org. So keep sending those questions in. We're going to continue this series next week when we look at archaeology and the Gospels. So we'll see you next week here on Question of the Week. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarat. Hey, 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 hey.